Hello and welcome to the Small Business Bro Podcast. I am your host and I'm your bro, Gabriel Stoudemire. Today I'm joined with Dave Chisholm, who owns several small businesses, and we're going to be talking about some of the ups and downs during that uh, the startup period and kind of where we both are in small business. Dave, how are you doing today? Doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why don't you just give a snapshot? You've got several businesses, so why don't you dive into what you do on a day-to-day in each business and kind of what you would say are your main sources of income? Well, um, the first business when I went self-employed was doing uh, employee benefits, which is health insurance. We sell to small and large businesses for anything that they're going to offer their employees, which would be health insurance, dental, disability, voluntary, all those benefits that keep employees working there. Um, I started that in 2011, and then when Obamacare came through uh, and kind of got activated around in 2015, um, there was a lot of upheaval in the market. A lot of businesses were dropping insurance. We didn't know if it was going to be a viable model to keep going because you know there was always the concern of like, well, we're going to go to socialized medicine, things like that. So the future didn't look bright. A lot of chaos in the industry at that time, and so then I, in 2015, I started looking at other alternatives and I looked at real estate, got my real estate license, started doing that as maybe that would be my focus. Um, Fast forward to today, um, I have my own brokerage now. I've got five agents working for me uh, with Champion Partners Realty. Um, Been doing both of them now. You know, insurance I've been doing the longest. The other thing that we've added is credit card payments processing, merchant services is what they call it. That was a need that, that was an easy add-on to Beacon Financial Solutions because um, I'm already dealing with business owners on their health insurance and employee benefits. So it was an easy thing that we could service that we could add to them. That hasn't really been, that's been a really smaller part of our business. We probably only added that in the last two years, um, mostly selling to just our own clients, existing clients. Then... Um, my wife, she has other sides. She's got a t-shirt business. I don't, I kind of help assist her on that. I'm not as involved on that, that mm-hmm. business as well. But, um, then as if, if you count the investing that we do, we have rental properties, things like that, that takes, it doesn't take up as much time as a, as a small business. So I don't know for this discussion, if we would include it, we can talk about it, mm-hmm. but I don't, it's not as involved as a small business. We have a property manager that kind of assists with that. Um, I would, one of my goals is to get into flipping property or getting into an Airbnb, which I classify that as like a mini hotel. That would be more hands-on, more mm-hmm. involved than it, it wouldn't be as passive. Right. Um, so yeah. Cool. Cool. So what prompted you to go into starting your own business? Cause so many people go, through you know high school and they're told all right start applying to colleges get you know figure out what you want to major in and then go do the corporate grind to climb the ladder and all that did you I don't even know did you go to college did you you know how did you get into kind of your story of getting into starting your own business right so I went to uh, North Greenville University did a bachelor's degree in business because I didn't really have any direction so you got the regular vanilla business admin degree had an accounting minor um got out and then went into the job market and had no real direction i was just Mm -hmm. like well what let's just start applying for jobs 
North Greenville didn't really have a good program as far as job placement afterwards. So it was just really on my own, just getting on Indeed. And so I applied for this warehouse job, or more of like an inventory clerk for $12 an hour. Okay. Like, I had worked at grocery stores up north and was making like $10 an hour. Mm-hmm. So that was really frustrating to basically get a four-year degree and only get a $2 an hour raise, partly because I didn't have enough direction. It was just a job that hired me. And uh, for a while, I, I worked there for about three years, and I, when I left that job, it was I was paying 15 bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. So it took a long time to just move $3 an hour. The reason that I made the jump was because that company got bought out, and they brought in all their middle managers and stuff like that, so that my career path just totally got capped off, because I was mm-hmm. like, now... That other company that bought my company had their favorites and people that, and it was just going to be forever. And so my dad had always been self-employed, but you know you don't have a salary with that. When I talked to my dad, he was like, "Well, I can't pay you salary. It's 100% commission, whatever." So at the time, my wife was a physical therapist, and we were able to. And I just said, "You know, I'm making $15 an hour. This is nothing for pay." So the risk wasn't there. Right. For a lot of people it's harder. Like if you're if you're making six figures or if you're making 70, it's a lot harder to jump. It wasn't that hard for me to jump because I wasn't making a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I said, "I better do this now before I get too comfortable with my salary or my cost of living goes up too much." Right. And we didn't have any kids, so it was early, so I'm glad I did make the jump. Uh and then I did insurance and it's been great ever since. I the other thing that I didn't, in addition to the fact that when the company got bought out, they brought in middle management and it just capped me, is mm. um, there was a lot of instances. I was a, a buyer for their parts. They were a point of sale repair company. And so I would source different parts or LCD screens from China and I would save them, you know, $50,000. And I'd go to my boss and say, hey, I, you know, you guys were buying it from. Vietnam and I was able to get it from Taiwan and it was a lot cheaper and I made the whole argument and I said you know as a justification because I was like I don't want someone to give me a raise just because I'm show up from eight to five every day I was like I felt like that was a legit argument Mm -hmm. and um, they really didn't and and so that really frustrated me I was like I'm working harder but Mm -hmm. I'm not getting paid I I, there's no appreciation for it I could have just kept buying those same LCD screens from where we were previously getting well, there was no incentive for me to save money. Like I could have just clocked in. So that really, that mentality of working for someone and just they just don't care if mm-hmm. you do work. Whereas if you're a business owner, if I go and save my own company twenty thousand dollars, you know that's directly to my pocket. You know, so I, I just like that model a lot better. I've never looked back. And so I really had a bad experience working in the corporate world mm-hmm. right out the gate. So. Um, yeah, it wasn't really hard for me to make the jump early. Right. So were you, when you started working um, that first job, were your, was your intention at that point to try and climb the corporate ladder or were you kind of just like... Yes, I was going to go full bore and go. Okay. I had no intention of being self-employed because I'm very um, risk adverse. So gotcha. even though my dad was in the business, I never even entertained it. I was like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to have this nice steady job. And at the time, I was... Um, working on my master's degree in business. I do have okay. that now. So I have my MBA. And so I was fully committed because that's the route. you got to mm-hmm. get the next degree to move up into management. So I was fully committed to that. And it's just the situation I was in. I'm glad that they made me frustrated enough to take the risk on <laughs> yeah. entrepreneurship. So, But no, I was fully, had no intention 
uh, yeah. being self-employed. Yeah. I, I got it you. on my radar, okay. which is surprising knowing that my dad was in it, but yeah. yeah. So. Gotcha. So along the way, you started with insurance, and then you. Um, at what point did you start to add in the realtor? Like, how did? When did you start looking at selling homes as well? Well, so at the time when around 2015 was when we were really at a crossroads with the insurance to see if we would keep doing it. We yeah. had dabbled in property and casualty which was more the home and auto, that ended up being not a route that we wanted to pursue. And so at the same time that I was wondering whether I was going to continue the insurance, my dad was also trying to diversify his position. So he started buying rental properties. So he bought some apartment complexes and was fixing them up. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got introduced to the real estate. And also, while we were doing the property and casualty type of insurance, I ran into this guy Ron and he's got a big property management firm in the upstate mm-hmm. and I was doing the property insurance for 100 unit complexes and having wow. very interesting conversations with him and so real estate got on my radar mm-hmm. through multifamily gotcha. and then I was like well maybe I should just get my license and so then I worked for a guy in Greer from 2015 till um, 2020 yeah 2020 is when I left. Um, so that was good. It was good, good supplemental income. And then I just, I just enjoyed real estate a whole lot yeah. more. I like insurance for like, you get a client and it's the residual base. It takes mm-hmm. the pressure off. That's the hardest thing with business owners is the stress of paying your bills. Yeah. That's the reason why people don't make the jump. Yeah. To, Cause if you're self-employed, you go straight to zero on day one. Right. And it's just, you got mortgage, you got car payments and all that. So the insurance, once you, you, you kind of gain momentum and gain traction. So like when I get a client and I, you know, maybe they're paying me $200 a month, that's $200 a month that goes towards my bills and I don't have to worry about it. And then I just mm-hmm. keep building, building, building. Real estate's a little bit different because you're, you make a sale. It's great, you know, but you got to find someone else again. Mm-hmm. to go you know but even like with your business with landscaping you get yeah. a client you have that steady so that's where if you're a small business owner sales is exhausting there's very few people that actually get energized from it most people it's draining mm-hmm. so when you can get a business model that has some kind of uh, subscription based where it's consistent income right. that can allow you to have the creativity to do other jobs that don't pay all the time consistency. Mm -hmm. So I like the pairing up of the insurance business, steady income, which is also why for people that go directly into real estate as a realtor, as a real estate agent, most of what they tell those guys is say, hey, you should buy rental properties so that you have steady income. So over Hmm. time, so just like the insurance block, rental properties can give you that steady cash flow to... Uh, help mitigate the highs and lows that you may have. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Yeah. And so, like you said, I, I definitely see that in my business. I do landscaping so and lawn maintenance. So um, when I started my business in my first year, I did almost exclusively lawn maintenance because it's recurring residual income that yeah. you can depend on each month. Mm-hmm. And it feels way safer right. than if you're just going out trying to sell Right. You know, a landscaping job or in your case trying to, you know, close a house yes. because like you said, right. you have to push for the next closing on a house or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and it's yeah, I definitely think having a combination of the two is really important, but when you start for sure, 
I think it's easiest to start with that residual income and then build off of there and get the chunks of big yeah. cash from your yes. deals and stuff. So that's that's definitely how I've seen it. So you were talking to this guy. You said, I think you said his name was Ron. Yeah. He was talking about real estate investing. Um, did you immediately, were you just like, all right, I'm going to try and look for a property or did you do some research and listen to some books or whatever on rental property investing or, or how did that kind of happen? So I, re I didn't have any money. So I was more of just a spectator on that and learning mm -hmm. from their advice and seeing. And I saw that as a goal because my dad was going buying properties just at a smaller scale okay. than he was. And they were yeah. kind of comparing notes and stuff. Um, so I didn't really plan on, I didn't have a goal to buy a rental property at that point. Um, I was just trying to make more money. So I went into the real estate just as a small business, like how, right. how, how much money can I make? How successful can I be as a real estate agent? Um, as far as books, I, I, I like the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert okay, Kiyosaki For book. sure. Yeah, that is a good you know, foundation. There's other books... It's, it's an older book, so there's probably other books that have better, um, that I haven't really read. A lot of content that I consume is usually podcasts yeah. and, and online, so a lot of people I follow. Um, I like Grant Cardone. People don't mm -hmm. like him because he's very flashy and everything, but that's, people, what I would tell people is don't get caught up in the sensation. They do that on purpose. They're trying to go viral, mm -hmm. so like that that's the only purpose. It, for some people, they think it comes off as scammy or this or that. you got to just get rid of that noise and try to say, look, this guy is a billionaire in multifamily. Yeah. Like he's, it's legit. Yeah. He has a plane. He has all that. So just calm down long enough to listen to what they're saying. Uh, so I like that. Robert Kiyosaki is the same way. Mm -hmm. um, trying to think of some of the other guys um, that stand out. Uh, Ryan Panita is a is yeah. good. I like him. He does multifamily, but those guys too. So they they a podcast is also how they. It's like another business for them mm -hmm. as well. So that's why I like, and I'm trying to figure out how my businesses go together. Kind of like the merchant services. You want to have your core business. You don't want to go too dramatic right. away from what you do to monetize. Um, rental properties is right in line with real estate. So you want to branch off, kind of like Amazon. They're shipping. Then they do the subscription with their music, and then they mm -hmm. got Prime Video. It's still in their family of what they're offering. They're still right. they're selling to their same customers. Yeah, they don't have to find another customer profile. Yeah, I'm yeah. I, you know I buy packages from them. I'm also going to buy their subscription for movies and stuff like that. So yeah, if you don't have to find a completely new customer, it's a lot easier to sell to your existing customers. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a big thing. Um, like even the top the the largest landscaping company brightview that's like publicly traded they will talk about how their recurring clients they'll try to upsell that lawn maintenance client at least 50 percent uh of the yearly revenue in landscaping projects so they'll go to their clients and market landscaping projects some so i think that's a huge thing if you can upsell to your current clients that's that's a i mean you're already in the door with them so um, but you, you talked about Rich Dad Poor Dad, which I've, I've read that book too, and it's kind of like a, it, it does change your mindset on um, kind of cash and like and, and money in general. I feel like, um, and it introduces the idea of financial independence and financial freedom. So I know in my in my journey, at least up to this point, 
I can definitely say that prior to reading that book and then going diving kind of off into like the deep end of all that stuff of financial independence and all that, I definitely had a different outlook on investing and the whole, well, I'm going to work really hard until I get to 60 years old or whatever, 65, and then have a good retirement. And my goals with that have definitely changed. Would you say that you kind of always had the same goals for your wealth and for retirement? Or would you say at some point the idea of like financial independence came in and kind of radically changed how what your plans were? Uh, with, with his book, Rich Dad Porter, they talk about assets yeah. and things that pay. And they really make the distinction that when you're using your time to make money, mm-hmm. It, that there's a ceiling to that because right. you can only work for eight hours. I mean, yeah, people can power through and put in 12 hour days and stuff, but you're still capped out. Like you, you, yeah. you will never beat the guy that has rental pro like say an asset class, like rental properties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Grant Carter, I was saying the other day, he's got seven, seven, I think 7,000 units. Mm-hmm. Um, those 7,000 units will outproduce any, I don't care if someone works 24 seven. So that, that mindset of people, if you go through the college route and you're going through the mainstream, what everybody looks at as a job, they look at it as I have to work as hard as I can in this eight hour period and then I have to get a raise. And that's the only way I can increase my income. Rich Dad Poor Dad takes that off the table. It's like, look, yeah. your hours that you work is to take that money and convert it into an asset so that mm-hmm. you actually gain momentum. So that when you go back to work the, the next day, if you added an asset last night or the day before, that asset is now included in your income and you actually get to the point where you can replace yourself. One of the things that I, in my right now is I've kind of, my bro, when I talk about finances with my brothers and stuff, we kind of joke around. I have say you initially people start out in survival mode. Yeah. Which is, I just need to pay my mortgage. I need to pay my gas. I need to pay my credit card debt or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. That is survival mode. And if you are the only one that's producing money, meaning you showing up on an eight hour day, that is a never ending process that Mm -hmm. you'll be 70 years old before that ever stops. If you, and so my goal is to get out of survival mode where some people would actually call it paycheck to paycheck where it's like you have barely enough money left over after you pay all your bills that is a miserable place to be but the Mm -hmm. only way to get out of that and so once i say once you have enough passive income or side hustles or clients that are paying your which is reason why i tell people don't increase your overhead Mm -hmm. don't add the new car payment don't buy you know if the bank says you can get a house for four hundred thousand. Well, try to find a house for 250 300 that's going to fit what you need. Right. So don't try to increase. you know, you got to have a place to live. But don't try to go to the top end because all that does is make the process longer for you to get to financial freedom. I say people say, oh, I got to have millions of dollars. No, you can be financially free if all your bills are paid. Let's say your bills are for the year like $40,000. That's like gas, food, everything you can think of costs you $40,000 to live. If that's paid off by residual income or assets or something like that, then you're financially free. Yeah. You don't have a lot of fun money. Right. You don't you can't go on vacation, but you're so the threshold is not you don't have people get too frustrated like I got to be a multimillionaire before I can be free. No, you can be free way longer than way mm-hmm. before that. You could be essentially retired at that point. If all your if you wake up and all your household bills are paid for by passive income, you're free. Yeah. You just 
it's very boring at that point. And then I say, yeah. so once you get out of what I call survival mode, then it's creative mode. Because mm. then you wake up and go, what do I want to do? I don't have to work. So if I like doing real estate, that's what I'm going to focus more of my energy on. If I like doing landscaping projects rather than the landscaping maintenance, I'm going to focus more on those projects because mm -hmm. I enjoy them more and they also make more money. And I don't care if I only get one project a month instead right. of five because I don't have the desperation mm -hmm. of all those bills. I'm not in survival mode anymore. Which, right. you know, so that's where I'm trying to get and that's what Rich Dad Poor Dad shows that, you know, assets paying you is what gives you freedom. Right. Not how much money you can stack up in your savings account and not how much overtime hours you can grind mm -hmm. out. That is not, yeah. that will get you ahead if you have a short term goal of like, I got to pay my debt off. I got to right. get rid of debt, yeah. bad debt. I'm not hating on overtime, mm -hmm. but, you know, that'll wear you out if that's your only oh, source yeah. of income. Yeah, for sure. And it's definitely, you know, I think a lot of people will have a period of time yes. where they put in those long hours and they grind, but mm -hmm. it's not meant to be like, okay, for the next 40 years, I'm going to do this and then I'll have a nice retirement. Right. It's like you grind for a little bit, yep. you invest in passive income and in assets. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, if your bills are paid, all of a sudden you get your time back. Yeah. And that's, that's, and I mean, that's priceless because with that time then you can focus on the things that really can push the needle like mm -hmm. you know exactly. that you don't have to immediately get a return on so um and i had obviously your brother ben on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago but one of the things he experienced was in working his accounting job he didn't have the time to he felt like to build the you right. know side hustle whatever yeah so he was able to to jump off full time and start that um which was, I think, the best thing to do for him. No, he, he, he and I, so he works in the office with me. Mm -hmm. He runs his business out of the same office. And so you're right. He, he was working 70 hours a week, and it was really stressing him out, and, and physically it was draining. And he, right, he had no time. So sometimes people got to make the hard break. Right. Sometimes you can't quit. Well, he was able, because he's younger, he doesn't have a lot of, a lot of overhead and a lot mm -hmm. of bills, so he can do that. So I would tell people... Uh, if you're not married and you don't have a lot of people dependent on you and if you're able to stay at home with your parents or if you're able to live with a friend and share rent or whatever, make the jump earlier because mm -hmm. it will only get harder to do it. But for those that already are a little too further along, they're like, all right, we've already, I'm married. I've got you know, one kid or already, you're already a little bit further yeah. along. I would say think about taking a lesser paying job because you can't go straight to zero and that the yeah. guy that's got the kid and family and all that maybe he's going to be he's getting paid 70,000 a year maybe say look yeah you're 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 working 20 hours overtime to get to the 70,000 mm -hmm. let's scale down see if you can take a 50,000 a year job and then try to work on your side hustle mm -hmm. that's a good hybrid model that i would say and ben's already finding the demand for bookkeepers and, and oh, yeah. so it, it's so scary to jump out there but Business, small business, there's, there's so much work to be done. Yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely. So um, you kind of touched on this a minute ago, and we talked about it a little bit before we started the podcast, but part of the journey of owning your own business is the eventual goal of getting it to where if you step away for a certain amount of time, the business is going to be self-sustaining and functioning well. Um, and you've kind of mentioned that, you're trying to get there and you're not quite there yet. So what, I mean, what, what would you say is the importance of having that 
you know, to where your business can be self-sustaining. Right. So what, so with my businesses with insurance, it's just me. I do all of it. I service all my clients. I go out and find new products. I don't, I haven't, I never built it big enough because like I said, in, in, there was a turning point in 2015, so I was almost thinking about getting out of it. Right. So I hadn't built it to the point where I was going to hire anybody. So it kind of stalled out and stayed decent income making off of it. Mm-hmm. But I have to do all of it. I have to do all the servicing and all the sales, everything. Right. So then when I stepped into the real estate, it was the same thing. So I basically had two small businesses, two baby businesses where I'm doing all of it. Mm-hmm. And every business is going to start out that way. But... Instead of so, neither of them matured. Now the 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 reason why I'm bu- I'm going to build my real estate business differently. So that's why I've got five agents under me now. Yeah, I'm not going to make the same mistake I would did with insurance. So I've invested more into the real estate as far as technology. One of the things that we've done is with AI. Well, I I had a software when I first bought it that was kind of cheaper. And I was like, oh, I'm going to save money. And you get, you can get too defensive in the beginning mm-hmm. with your business to where it's like, look, go top of the line because it w- and leverage it to its full max. So after a year, I already canceled the software and I went out there and found the latest, the ones that the global brand mm-hmm. real estate were using, real estate companies were using because it had the AI integration. And we've already, we've just implemented in the last two months. And... I'm also going to be going on the offense. We're going to do a lot of more Google ads. We're going to start bringing that in. But right. the volume that the advertiser that we we're talking about, he's like, well, we're probably going to have about 30, 40 leads coming in. And I was like, well, on our old system, we couldn't handle that. Mm. So with the AI, I've already seen it. It'll talk to people. It'll, I could have 500 contacts in the system and AI is talking to all of wow. them, all, all, texting all of them simultaneously. I don't have enough hours in the day right. to sit there and talk to 500 prospects and touch base with them. But that thing can do it all in seconds. And it's extremely smart. So that's where I'm saying, could I cheap out? And mm-hmm. I did cheap out last year and didn't have it, didn't have the software with the AI and things like that. So yeah. don't always cheap out. Use the stuff that you can really leverage. And the other thing that I would say with business owners and people that are starting out, you have to think ahead for um, when you hire employees. So sometimes mm-hmm. people charge too little because they're like, oh, well, I live with my buddy and my mortgage is only or my rent is only 700 a month or 1000 a month or whatever it is. So I don't need to make a lot of money. No, no, no. You need to charge enough like you already have that employee right. so that when you do hire your employee, you don't have to raise your prices to the customer. Mm-hmm. And you just fit the employee in and you just move on. So one of the things that, that I'm looking for is really how to build uh, systems mm-hmm. because that's a whole nother – when you bring an employee on, you have to tell them how to do the whole job. And you have it all up in your head when you're the business owner. You're like, oh, I know how to do this. But that t- the frustrating thing is taking what's in your head and mapping it out and writing it down, which they call standard operating procedures. That's right. very time-consuming. It's something that I'm learning. If you don't do that, you have no foundation to leave the business mm. or a step away from it. Yeah. Um, so that's really what I'm focusing on is being able to have other people come in and help. Um, the AI is an interesting thing. I'm looking more towards virtual assistants and stuff. People are working oh, from yeah. home. That's a way to maximize people's downtime to your mm-hmm. advantage. Like they have the flexibility. You don't have to pay them as much. They don't care to have as much because they value the flexibility of working from home. So finding that has been 
something that's been on my radar to research. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's a lot of good points there. Um, I, I really like what you said about kind of you went with the cheaper software last year and yep. then you're, you're going big this year and yep. you're kind of, and it, that that's definitely a part of business that I know, like if you've ever read the book Profit First, um, basically it's this mentality where you try to keep your expenses super low and super you stay super profitable. But there's also a part of business, especially when you start, where you do have like you do have to invest to grow, mm-hmm. and you have to you know sacrifice some, whether that be your cash or whatever, to try and grow. And I think uh, that you know when you start, that may not be possible. But once you get some momentum and some cash going, it's really the next step is to invest in marketing or in the in the software for me and a piece of equipment or whatever to actually get to the next phase and the next level. So, um, and I would say even with my business and I'm, I'm trying to, you can, you can get lazy in your own business. Yeah. Meaning it, let's say you get your business up to where you're making a hundred thousand a year, but Mm -hmm. you're doing all of it. And it's like, well, a hundred thousand a year is decent income. Um, but if I hire somebody, it's going to, maybe I hire somebody for 35, 40,000. Let's say it's 40 for easy numbers. Mm-hmm. So that means you just, now you're, now you're only making 60,000 a year. Yeah. Cause you got to pay someone 40. That's very painful. And so, but what I would say is just like when you're in the gym, you've got to push the weights. Mm-hmm. So if you're at a hundred thousand before you get too comfortable, or if you, the temptation is to lift your lifestyle to mm-hmm. the hundred thousand. Yeah. You got to quickly, I would say, hire the employees a little bit earlier so that you don't get too lazy and don't get right. too comfortable. Because if you do have 100,000 in income and you hire the employee and you're only making 60, that means you gotta work a little harder and you may not wanna do that, mm. but you have to do that. Yeah. You have to push to where you push again, because it gets exhausting and that's why it's good with small businesses to have other business owners that you can talk to because it is very mentally draining. So you do Mm -hmm. what we call the grind phase and you, for the first five years, you're grinding and you finally arrive at 100,000 and you just want to take a break Mm -hmm. and it's really not time to take a break. It's really time to get an employee and then go and push to now you're making 140 so that you have an employee and you're still making 100. And yeah. Then, then you're gonna you're gonna thank yourself for doing that. Yeah. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Is yeah, you got what they say is you got to go back. You got to be willing to go back down to zero. You had to go to zero when you left your full time job to start yourself employed. But in the life cycle of your small business, you're gonna have to take massive pay cuts to get forward to go forward. Right. You know. It's uh, it seems like it's a common trend of that idea of delayed gratification, yes. where even if your income goes up to you know X number, you're still keeping your expenses the same in your personal life, so that you can keep pushing it up and pushing it up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the probably the fastest path to that financial independence um, goal. So, um, well, let me ask you this: so when it comes to getting clients, selling, all that stuff. What have you found that's worked for you and your businesses as far as networking, finding clients, selling um, stuff to people? How do you get that in the door, the business in the door? The the biggest, well, for real estate, I'll speak to that because it's mm-hmm. different, different kind of selling, different kind of model. Uh, with real estate, what I have found is you really want, and I know this is kind of... St- 
vanilla. I mean, every business would probably say this. You really want to make raving fans out of your mm. past yeah. clients. So what I've found, and, and, and with real estate specifically, um, I'm in a, you want to find your community of people. So one group here locally is very into like the natural uh, yeah. holistic and so I've really helped that community and so you almost go viral in these smaller communities so let's mm -hmm. say you you were really among like basketball or something like that and so you're really in that community of people all you know you played with a bunch of people and there was church basketball and all mm -hmm. that stuff you really started serving uh, clients in that community because it's so tight-knit it allows you to go viral faster than trying to do a vi YouTube video in Greenville County Greenville County is a smaller market. You probably the odds are, but yeah. but I'm talking about drilling down even sooner than that. So find communities that you can treat one right, one client right, and it's just a, you build a lot more momentum that way. Mm -hmm. So I'm I have a lot of people that um, when the COVID lockdowns came, a lot of people were moving out of state because they didn't want the mandatory vaccines or they wanted more freedom. So when I was right. in that like-minded community, the I'm talking specifically like a Facebook group. Okay. So the Facebook group, these are all people that are all like, you know, hey, we love living here. And then people from out of state would join this group and say, hey, we're coming from New York. We're coming from New Jersey because we want this more free atmosphere in South Carolina. We don't want to have all this. I'm losing my job because I don't want to take the vaccine or whatever. And so those customers, I was, it was just a immediate tie-in because it was an immediate bond, immediate you know, mm. connection yeah. there. So uh, whatever community is really, you know, because it works in, it works the other way. If you treat one bad or if you have yeah. a bad experience, then it just, it just goes through the group really right. fast. Right. Um, that has been really good with real estate and, and focusing your energy. See, a lot of people want to spend money on finding the new client. If you spend money on your clients and make them happy and, and kind of and don't real and try to stay with a relationship with them mm -hmm. long after, like take them out to lunch or do anything. People appreciate that; they like that. And so, mm -hmm. investing in your past clients, I think, is what a lot of people uh, don't do as much as they should because mm -hmm. they just want to. Because because in that moment, you're like, well, that client, I've already sold them a house. Why would I focus any more energy on them? Mm -hmm. They don't need another house to buy, so yeah. they want to. You know, so I would say that has been really good, worth it for me. Is to focus on past clients. Yeah. Um, with insurance, it's a little bit different. It's a longer because you're dealing with business owners, and they. I'm I'm going to a business owner and saying, "Hey, you got to work with me, fire your agent, and work with me." That's a lot harder of a break. Right. Uh, and it's a little bit longer of a sell. It's also they have the obstacle that they're a business owner and they've got a million things going on, and they don't want to deal with change. And so trying to get in front of them is very difficult. It's just a longer sales cycle, which if I was being honest, I don't enjoy that. I like dealing with the individuals in real estate. It's a lot more personal. Um, I do enjoy that more. Okay. Insurance, it's just a different, it's a longer sales cycle. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. I think one, uh, one, one, almost like a principle that you mentioned there, uh, especially with the real estate is... You were in these groups, you know, for the holistic stuff and the people moving there. And then, you know, you gave the example of if in, you if you were in like a basketball group, mm -hmm. there's a book called Thou Shall Prosper. And one of the it's written by a Jewish rabbi who's a successful businessman. But one of the principles he talks about is you should always like business is inherently good. Mm -hmm. And you should always talk about your business, whatever it is, 
and you will generate, you know, it, income essentially through leads, through mm-hmm. stuff by speaking about what you do to the people that you're in regular life with, which it sounds like you are kind of doing that with this Facebook group. Yeah. So I think that's a really important virtue that you can have as a business owner is to love what you do. It's the most exciting thing of your, you know, that you talk about and you love to, to talk right. about it. And I think that's a huge thing that you can do. I mean, other examples are, you know, a lot for a lot of people, it's their local church. Yeah. Because that's, that, that's, that's the type of community. There's could be other people if you're at the gym and you, you really get in a group with them. I mean, CrossFit was really big. The bond mm-hmm. that people form in those groups is really powerful. Um, and then what's other besides, I would say, church? Well, even, even politically. If you you know if you're Republican or Democrat, if you really get into those political events and those people that are on your side of the aisle, and you really help that they those communities are very tight knit and yeah. very bonded together. So um, any yeah any kind of community you can think of, just really focus on those. It mm. just the momentum's a little faster than just trying to go to the general public. Now yeah. we have to go to the general public, but yeah. you can get little speed bursts. If you really get connected into a certain community and treat them right, and then because everybody knows each other, and mm-hmm. it's just a lot faster way to go viral, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now that, that makes 100% sense. And um, you also can establish relationships with other business owners who can pass, you know, stuff to you. So, like, if I go to a nursery that sells plants and I talk to them about. I've got my landscaping business, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll say, well, you're buying plants from us. Can you give us a card and we'll we'll put it out here on the desk or whatever. So you can establish relationships business to business where business owners are helping each other out too. Well, that's you bring up a good point about the businesses. I'll tell two stories about that, about businesses. Even businesses that you would think would compete with you. Yeah. So people a lot of times are like, well, they're my competition. I'm not having mm-hmm. anything to do with them. I'm not going to help them. You got to have the mindset of there's plenty of business out there for everybody. Yeah. And so two stories. So I had my HVAC system replaced, and the guy needed a part, and it mm-hmm. was on a Saturday, Saturday. It was closed or whatever. He was. He said, "I'll call one of my guys who's in the HVAC business." But he was over in Spartanburg, totally different company, mm-hmm. and he was able to source the part and get it fixed the same day because a competitor had the part that he needed and they just came to an agreement and say, look, you know, we're going to do each other a favor. If you will help each other out mm-hmm. then, you know, they both make plenty of money. They both have clients. They're not stealing each other's clients. They're not doing any of that. And the other thing is with my insurance business, we have, usually I compete against companies that are like, uh, they're called PEOs and they, they're payroll companies that also include and bundle benefits. Okay. So yeah. typically they're my competitor. Well, I'm in a networking group where they're in it and what's going on right now is United Healthcare is in a big disagreement with uh, Prisma Health System. So they're out, they're out of network mm-hmm. here in Greenville Upstate. But the PEO that I'm working with, they only offer United Healthcare. Now I'm independent and I can offer 15 different health insurance companies. Mm-hmm. So what they've done is they said, "Hey Dave, you know, can we can't our clients are leaving us. Now we do payroll, we do workman's comp, this PEO company." They do all these other services, and they're like, hey, we don't want to lose the client just because of the health insurance. Can you come in, do the health insurance, and just not – I'm like, well, I don't do payroll and all that. So yeah. I've actually helped them – so here's two competitors working together to help a client that's in a bind because they want to move to Blue Cross because right. United's out of network. I mean uh, Prism is out of network mm-hmm. for United. So 
um, we're in the same networking group. We both say, hey, I do health insurance. He does health insurance, but he also does payroll and all that. So we're, you know, you can both try us out and we don't feel that conflict. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's one thing I would say, even consider, make good positive relationships mm -hmm. with even your competitors. Yeah. Be on a good moral, ethical standing with them. It doesn't have to be backstabbing, cutthroat. It will just backfire and implode and it's yeah. not worth it. And it, and that's the mentality of like when you're coming from a nine to five and you're always asking your boss every year for a raise and he's sitting mm -hmm. there, well, you know, I can give you 50 cents or a dollar. That is scarcity mindset. It doesn't mm -hmm. exist in the business world. If, yeah. if you take that scarcity mindset, the defense of like everybody's going to the boss for another mm -hmm. 50 cents or a dollar, that's not the way it works in entrepreneur world. Mm. There's plenty of business for everybody to survive. Yeah. And so we don't need to have that scarcity hoarding mindset among even competitors. Mm. doesn't need to be that way. That's a really good point. That is a really good point. Um, I've got a specific question that I just want to know because I will hopefully be looking at hiring employees at some point in the near future. Um, you mentioned the healthcare and the workman's comp thing. So with your business, do you offer workman's comp or is that part of healthcare or how to, like, is that? So workman's know? comp would fall into the property and casualty. So okay. They would have, you have your general liability, then you have your business insurance, and you mm -hmm. have your commercial auto, then you would have workman's comp. Gotcha. So that would be more of a PNC agent. I have guys that I can recommend yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as the health insurance, if you're a small business under 50, you don't have to offer health insurance. Okay. So whenever you feel, so what I tell business owners is like, look, it just depends on your industry and what your industry is used to doing. Um if you feel like you're losing, let's say you hire employees mm -hmm. and then you just like, man, Sally went to go work for someone else because she needed health insurance. I tried to hire someone else. They left six. If you keep having turnover, then you need to consider offering benefits okay. or at least if that ends up being the reason why they're leaving. Um, for smaller business, I've found what's called uh, ICRA. Uh, it's an ind independent health reimbursement account. So that will allow uh, most business owners usually try to do a group plan. But mm -hmm. a lot of times the group's too small where it's like five people. And so mm -hmm. they would say, well, I would like, and rather than just do a group, I'd rather just say, hey, I want to do $300 towards your monthly premium. Mm -hmm. And you know, and then you yeah. go buy whatever you want. Business owners have been doing that for a long time. It's under the table and they can't really write it off or uh, they try to yeah, sure. bump up the salary. Yeah. It's There was never really a way to do that. But now with the ICRA model, you can, with a health reimbursement account, you can do that and you can say, hey, hey, employees, I'm going to give everybody 500 bucks. Then you go to the open marketplace and buy the plan that you want. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really good. So if, if, a, if you have a young guy that says, look, I'm bulletproof, I'm going to get a bronze plan and a $6,000 deductible because I never go to the doctor and it's the premium is going to be 300 a month and you're mm -hmm. giving him 300 a month and he's... He's paying nothing out of pocket. Yeah. But then the other guy that's got kids and is like, well, my wife's going to have a kid next year. We're going to have a pregnancy. I'd rather have the gold plan that mm -hmm. has a $2,000 deductible and it's going to cost me, you know, 1000 a month. Well, yeah. you're giving him 300 so it only costs him 700 bucks. Gotcha. I'm using actually low numbers. It's, health insurance is obnoxiously expensive. So really? for a family of four, it's probably going to be about two grand a month. It's just you unbelievable. Serious? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And that's something if we wanted to take a sidebar. I sell health insurance for a living, and I don't yeah. have health insurance. Really? Yes. So 
what is your, I mean, what's the so, backup plan? So what I do is Christian healthcare ministries. Okay. That is, so there's, with healthcare ministries, there's Samaritan's ministries. Um, there's Christian healthcare ministries. There is um, the popular one, MediShare. Okay. I don't really like them because they try to act like an insurance company. And I'm like, you guys are not. Like they have an, they ask your height and weight and they have bigger deductibles. And I just, a lot of the experiences that I've seen is not been good with them, even though they're the popular ones and they're always on the radio. Um, then there's Liberty Share, which actually went through a lot of trouble because mm -hmm. they mismanaged the funds. And they really came onto the scene during the conservative movement when Trump first got in and they rode the back of his camp. It wasn't his fault. He wasn't part mm -hmm. of it or anything like that. But they took advantage of conservatives and they mismanaged the funds. I think they're still in existence today. But the reason why, and there's there's a few other um, health shares that are out there that are maybe not Christian-based, but most of them have a lot of restrictions. They're not exactly like health insurance. They're not going to cover, like for Christian healthcare ministries specifically, they won't cover prescription drugs. Okay. So a lot of people are like, well, I'm in med. Well, what I tell people is like, look, if you go to Blue Cross and your premiums are 1000 a month, and then Christian healthcare ministries for one single person would be two hundred fifty bucks a month. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then your 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 prescription. Let's just say your prescriptions are two hundred a month. Well, if you do Christian healthcare ministries, it's two fifty plus another two hundred for your meds. That's the cash price. You're at four fifty. It's still better than paying a thousand yeah. a month to Blue Cross. So I tell people you can go to GoodRx.com and see yeah. the cash price and. See all the math on your prescriptions because mm -hmm. people are used to paying, uh, you know, twenty dollar copays and mm -hmm. forty dollar copays, and I'm like, no, do the math. You probably will come out ahead. I know you're not paying a twenty dollar copay, but the math probably still comes in your favor. Yeah. So we've I've been on Christian healthcare ministries the past going on eight years now. Wow. And we've had you know pregnancies on it, and they've paid a lot of claims for mm -hmm. us. I, I, I would recommend it for smaller business owners. Um, okay. Where the problem is, is because it has the faith-based element of it, for a commercial business, like a plumbing company that's got 10 employees or something, it's not really, you can't really set it up. as Because yeah. it's, it's not really group insurance. It really is an alternative. It's not okay. the same as insurance. Gotcha. You just have to decide if the, pro, you know, the pros and cons are in your favor mm -hmm. for that. Yeah, I got you. That 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 makes sense. Well, that's good to know. So I wanted to uh, touch on hiring an employee because you mentioned how you've got. Did you say six or five yeah. agents that are working for your brokerage? Right. So did you have like an employee handbook or goals to hire? You know, I guess it's a little different because they're are they ten ninety nine or yeah okay right. So it's it's a little bit different because the pressure to pay them a salary is not there okay because they are ten ninety nine. Now you do get an employee handbook and we have a contract that they have, gotcha. but it is not the same as like if you're hiring so like a virtual assistant is what the company I'm really looking at right now is Belay mm -hmm. and they have assistants for the hourly rate comes out to like forty five bucks an hour, but you could get an assistant for, they'd sell you blocks of time for 10, 20 hours a month, and it's like 2000 a month. Mm. Well, so that's 24000 a year to have a highly qualified virtual assistant. Mm -hmm. So, and it's, and the thing is, the thing about virtual assistants is you don't have to, with Belay, you can just cancel in 30 days. Gotcha. And so it's, the other thing about hiring people is the awkwardness of firing people. 
But when it's a subscription service through an independent company, you say, hey, this lady's not working out for me. This guy's not working out for me. I'm, you know, give me someone else or I'm canceling 30 days. It, it makes it a little easier. And the thing that I've always learned in businesses or what I've always heard is you do have to fire fast mm-hmm. or you will yeah. cripple yourself big time. Um, so, no, I don't really have direct experience, with, but that's something that I'm researching on. With the, with the co- real estate agents, if they don't sell a house... I don't pay them anything. They don't get anything, gotcha. you know, so it's a little bit different. Yeah, the pressure's off Yeah, where that's coming from. So are you, in terms of talking about growing your business, the next steps and, and all your businesses, are you going to try and add as many agents under you as you can, or how are you planning to grow your businesses? Um, so for the real estate company, I... I would like to add agents, but I've talked to other brokers, and this mm-hmm. is one thing I would tell. Us, this is the value of podcasts like this, and I would yeah. tell is you want to talk to people that are ahead of you, mm-hmm. and you want you really do. You don't you don't want to get advice, and it may sound bad, but the advice from people who are in the same spot as you, like your peers or businesses that are the same size, it's great for accountability, but it's not great. It's really no benefit if you want to move forward. You have to talk to people in head. Right. So what I've heard with brokers that have bigger offices is um, it can suck up a lot of your time. If mm. you're bringing, depending on what, I want to be very strategic about what agents I want to bring on. Because if you bring on all rookies, then they're going to demand all your time. And so I want to have a balance of, you know, mm-hmm. some rookies, train them up, and then... Once they're trained up and they're independent and they kind of run on their own, then I bring them in. So I don't know that I want to grow too fast. I do want it because I have other businesses that I want to focus. I want to focus more on the the rentals and the Airbnb. So yeah. I don't want to get. But I'm on, I'm my own worst enemy. I I I get I get too distracted and everything. I, my biggest thing is I will probably think about trying to bring in maybe. Uh, an assistant broker or what they call managing broker. Okay. So I'm the broker in charge, but you can also bring in managing brokers and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So um, we'll see. But right now I'd like my short-term goal, I got five agents. I'd like to get probably to 20 Okay. in the yeah. next two years, probably add at least 10 a year. If yeah. no, that's, that's like a minimum goal. I'd, I'd be trying to, I talked to somebody yesterday that's coming on, so we may have six here pretty soon. But the thing with agents is, you could have 20 agents and if, if most of mine right now are all part-time. So it doesn't yeah. really mean that you're really killing it just because you got 20 agents. Right. It just depends on how much volume that they're doing. I'm, I'm what's called a selling broker, which means some brokers, when you get to like 50 or 100 agents or whatever, they don't have time to go out and sell mm-hmm. and they don't need to. I'm still actively selling and dealing with clients on a regular basis. Okay. So I don't know when I enjoy it. So I don't know that I'd ever stop doing it, but, um, I won't do it anytime soon. Not mm. until at least I got 50 agents or yeah. more. So. I got you. Um, well, we're reaching the end here. I did want to briefly touch on real estate because that's the, the kind of the last small business that you own. So if you could, um, how did you get into, say, like your first deal? Where did you find it? And then how did you negotiate or any of that? Yeah, so you got to come up with a capital. So the first, there's a couple ways to do it. So I bought my first house in 2009 and 130000 It was just a three-bedroom, two-bath. 
And so we just paid on it. And the thing is, when you start in a business, you, it's hard. It's hard. You got to pick one or the other. So uh, some people would say, "Look, I love my job. I want to stay in my job." Well, you can still do a lot. You don't have to quit your job and start a small business. You can still implement the strategies of building an asset on the side. Mm. And so, for me, when I quit my job, I we didn't have any extra money. Yeah. So I didn't have. So for like the first ten years, I didn't. But I was making a mortgage payment. That's the beauty of buying yeah. a house. So fast forward to um, twenty twenty. I put my house on the or twenty twenty one. Put my house on the market. And, you know, pulled 120000 out, bought my next house. And so I had 120000 of equity that rolled in. I turned around and got an equity line mm. and pulled money out, pulled, got an equity line. They won't give you 100% of yeah. for obvious reasons, usually about 80%. So they gave me an equity line for $75,000. And at the time, we wanted to get into multifamily like my dad, mm. you know, had done. So my brother James, we found this property. It was nine units in Taylor's. Mm. And uh, we brought Dan on as well. And so the bank gave us a really good deal for we only had to put 15% down. This okay. was right before rates had started to go yeah. up. So the down payment ended up being $120,000. So I took out of my equity line $40,000. And they all did the similar thing. I think James might have had the money. but So we all brought 40000 to the table and we bought the mm -hmm. property and everything. Now, since... The thing you got to realize, these prop. This was like more of a fixer-upper property. Gotcha. Most of the rents were at like five, six hundred bucks when the market rent was around eleven $1 hundred mm -hmm. or even nine. At the time, it was nine fifty, but now we've got them in there. For most people are in there for eleven $1 hundred a month. Mm -hmm. So the problem is, once you put the down payment, is there's still going to be more. That property's going to ask you for more money. Yeah. Because we had to when those tenants when their lease came up for renewal, we said, hey. We won't, We just non-renewed them. We said, "Hey, you're gonna have to find another place to live. We're gonna renovate these units. They weren't that bad, but we, you know, you're pulling out carpet and replacing it with the vinyl plank. There was one guy that was smoking in the unit. He wasn't supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So the smoke re remediation cost a lot extra. Cost a few thousand dollars. And so you're kicking in. So I think at this point, I have to look at the numbers. I think we're into the property for probably sixty thousand mm -hmm. at this point. So an additional twenty. They had to go in. So people need to realize you kind of got to have more than just the down payment. Yeah. You got to be ready for all the uh, extras that are going to come. So equity lines are a good way for you to jump in. The beauty mm -hmm. of what I would recommend people, people say, well, equity lines are variable. You know, well, what about the mm -hmm. rent? No, no, no. I got the equity line at around 3% and then I locked it in. There's plenty of equity lines that will allow you to lock it in. So now I take... That forty thousand dollars, and I think the total payments for that is maybe two fifty a month. Oh, so, okay. gotcha. So my ability, yeah. I own a property nine. I own. I'm co-owner in a nine-unit property for two hundred fifty bucks a month. Wow. You know, so that's yeah. how people can, and then I'm locked in, so I don't have to worry about. You know, rates are around seven percent right now. Well, the the equity line is variable until you tell the bank that you want to lock it in. So not all equity lines are the same. I would tell people, shop around, ask your yeah. bankers. It's definitely plausible. But see, what people do, they got to think differently about the equity lines. They think of the equity lines as, oh, I'm going to do a renovation on my house. Yeah. No, leverage it forward. Make money it, off If you redo the kitchen, that doesn't make you any money. Right. I, I bought nine units with it. 
You know, that's making yeah. me money, not my brand new kitchen. Now, there's a time and place to renovate the kitchen if you're trying to get ready to sell it or something yeah. like that. But it's a different conversation. Um, so that's how we got into it with the real estate. Now, the problem is how fast can, now, how fast can you get 40000 again? Now that I've, already, I've used my equity line, yeah. I've shot my shot, and I don't really have any other means to get a the, down payment the, or yeah, a deal, you know. cash. So with that, I'm assuming it's a home equity line of credit. Is that what it was? Yeah. Or, okay. So is that based entirely on the equity that you have in the home or do they base it at all on your income for that loan? It's a little bit on your income, but it's heavily, okay. it's mostly on how much you have in your income. Gotcha. They do always want to look at your ability to pay it back. Yeah. But it's just, way yeah. less than if you get a traditional loan. Gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. That Yeah. That's, that's. Interesting. I've I've heard that before with investors. And then you you also talked about the, you know, you're going to need more than just the down payment oftentimes for a property. I know there's one investor who would always like he would do single family homes and he would always have a $5,000 emergency fund for each property in that bank account for the property. He'd always have like, you know, an emergency fund in case something happened. So yeah, well, even more so than the emergency fund. We so, for example, even in South Carolina, this is the other thing you got to be ready for. So, year two is going to be pretty miserable for two reasons, because your property insurance is going to go up. Mm-hmm. So, property as property values go up, so does your property insurance. Yeah. Property insurance have also gone up too because of inflation and a lot of claims from the big storm. So that's something I would tell people to watch out. I was talking to my PNC guy yesterday, and he said, before you buy a property, please let me quote it first so that you are buying it mm-hmm. at the right price. The other thing is the taxes. So when the lady that we bought the property from, we paid about close, to, I want to say we paid close to 800000 for the property. Now, she had owned it for decades. Mm-hmm. So she was paying 10000 a year in property tax. Wow. When you buy the property, it's gonna, they're going to raise the property taxes. So what we paid this year was 17000 Wow. So if you're not ready for that, and you think you're buying it at a good price, you gotta, it's more than just the HVAC breaking, which mm-hmm. by the way, though, we had two of those break, and so mm-hmm. we've had a lot, but one thing I would say with the HVAC system that we're gonna start doing now, we would have what's called a capital call. A capital call is where you go back to the investors, which was my other two brothers, and say, hey, HVAC's broken, it's gonna cost six grand. Well, there's three of us, everybody needs to put two grand into the account, and then we'll pay for it. We had the money at the time, it was fine, but what we're learning is like, why are we doing this? Why don't we just finance the HVAC system? Because you can get like a 10-year mm-hmm. loan on them and just let the, let the property make the payment oh, instead of us. Yeah. We would rather have our $2,000 in our bank account right. for something else. That's the beauty of properties. Let the property do the work. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't always, when you have guys come in and do flooring and all that, you can't always have that on finance. Right. But thing, a bigger, bigger expense like an HVAC, you definitely would. But so property taxes insurance is really hurting investors right now in addition to the higher interest rates. Yeah. So what I've my I've pivoted my strategy a little bit because um, what I've found is you got to be extremely patient with long-term rentals. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. Where mm-hmm. you rent it for a year, most of those are only going to cash flow about 2 to 300 dollars if you're lucky. You know, you get a good deal, you could do better than that. But two hundred is the minimum. If you don't have two hundred, that means after you paid the taxes, the insurance, everything, you're profiting two hundred dollars per door. Mm-hmm. If you dip below that, it's probably not going to work. It yeah. probably won't. But two hundred dollars a month. So think about that. If you have ten units, it's only two grand. 
yeah. 10 doors. You've got to have 10 different properties. Now, multifamily is a little easier because you're all consolidated into one location. Right. But for a lot of people, that could be like, that doesn't change my life. That doesn't, what does that do for me? Mm. 2000 a month. You got to have the stamina to stay in it that long, but there's other benefits because you get the depreciation. So, for example, for the Rutherford property, you take the eight hundred thousand roughly that we paid for it, and then divide that by twenty-seven and a half years, which mm-hmm. is what the IRS allows. So that property throws off about thirty, roughly thirty thousand in depreciation. Since there's three of us, we're all going to get ten thousand a piece. But you mm-hmm. take that depreciation and you wipe out the income that you make from your other businesses right. you wipe it off on your taxes. So that's a benefit. That's, I mean, if you take 10,000 off of your taxable income, whatever amount that that saves you, mm-hmm. that's income to you. And then the property's going up. So it's not, if you just look at the cash flow, then you will get frustrated and you won't want to stay in it. Mm-hmm. You got to look at the depreciation. You got to look at the future because what's going to, here's what's going to be the magic payday in five years with commercial loans. They got to renew every five years, roughly. Mm. So your rate, we got a three point seven five rate, but that's not going to last. So in five years, the bank's going to be like, "Hey, we're going to redo this." Yeah. I don't know what rates are going to be in five years, but the property, based on the amortization schedule, the property will be paid down to probably around four four hundred thousand and some change or whatever. What we're going to do, and this is what most real estate investors do, and this is why they say that they they don't have to pay taxes. Well, here's how they do it: they uh, if the more in five years the rents will also be higher, mm-hmm. so we're we're making eleven hundred today. We could be fourteen hundred in five years. Who knows? So when we go to redo the loan, we would just take the loan. When we first got the loan, it had a loan of seven hundred thousand. Yeah. So in five years, it's really cranking down. The more debt's being paid off. In five years, we have the choice. We could say, look, we, let's just put the same exact loan on it. Seven hundred. Mm-hmm. Let's just bring it. If it paid the loan of seven hundred thousand five years ago, the property's only gotten stronger because rents have increased. So we could take three hundred thousand dollars back out of the property and put the mm-hmm. identical loan right back on it. Wow. And that three hundred thousand goes back to the investors. And since there's three of us, I get a hundred, and my two other brothers get a hundred each. Well, guess what? You pay zero taxes on that because that's a loan. Mm, and then the tenants it's debt and so then the tenants go back to work and pay and pay and Mm -hmm. pay and then in five years you do the same thing again so if you were only looking at oh wow 10 units is only $200 a month $2,000 a month is not going to change my life you're not looking at all the things that real estate's doing at three different things at one time depreciation cash flow and appreciation well technically four because you got the debt yeah. The debt you debt can pull out. Yeah. yeah, debt pay down. Debt. So you got yeah. four ways to make money on one single asset. You can't do that with stocks. No. You can't take, I mean, you technically can take a loan off a of stock, but they just, you don't get depreciation on stocks. Yeah. You technically get appreciation on stocks, but you don't really, it's not as reliable mm-hmm. as real estate. Um, so that's, but having said that, so they, so what I found is if you have, what I've seen long term is more for people that have tons of money and, and big right. chunks of money that can sit because it's, it's more of the boring. So is there something? A lot of people like stocks because you can buy a stock and then boom, it goes to the moon. You make big money. Is yeah. there something similar in real estate? And so what I'm seeing is, yes, is you have flips. Mm-hmm. So if you buy a property. So I'm really focusing my energy on this because we're in a really nice market in Greenville. If I buy a house for 50000 put 30 into it and then I'm into it for 80 and I can sell it for 200 I mean that's a that's a really good profit yeah I mean 
So I'm looking at if I can make 20,000, most guys, most experienced flippers can make about 50. Yeah. I'm looking to just make 20 or 30 because I'm, I'm a new person, a rookie into this. Mm-hmm. There's also foreclosures you can get. So if I can in six months flip a house and make 20, 30,000, that's a good chunk of money that you can convert to long term. Because remember I said, how fast can you save 40000 If you got all your mortgage and your bills and all that, it takes a long time to mm-hmm. save up money. Right. Especially if you're taking your money and injecting it back into your business. One thing I would say, I would pause because people can get distracted. If you're busy, you really need to look at your business like an investment property. Mm-hmm. So when we look at investment properties, we're like, all right, what is it? Is it an 8% return? Is it a 10% return? Is it a 6 Because they talk, they talk about cap rates. Right. Look at the percent return on your business, and I guarantee you it's going to be better than a long-term return. Oh, yeah. So always do not starve your business mm-hmm. because you want to get into long-term rentals too early. Yeah, Your business ROI is going to – so beef up your business mm-hmm. as much as you can. Do not starve it at the expense of a long-term rental. Now, if you wanted to do a flip, that's okay. I feel like the ROI is going to be massive. Right. The other one, the other asset class would be an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Because they generate, I have a friend of mine that's generating four grand a month on a four bedroom. Yeah. His mortgage is about two grand, and so he profits about two thousand a month on one property. Yeah. So when I was talking long term, you had to have ten of those. Yeah. For what? Because Airbnbs are like a mini hotel, and so I'm more apt to buy that because they just throw off more cash. In a they're more mm-hmm. involved. You gotta you gotta have the cleaning lady. You gotta deal with guests on the weekends. But that's more interesting to me right now. So in my mind, it's either a flip or an Airbnb is my right. focus in the future. Yeah. And then once those get really up and running, I'll put the big chunks into the long-term gotcha. rentals. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, I did want to ask you about the plan to basically renew the loan in five yeah. years on the, on the bigger property. So is that when you renew the loan, say up to 700000 is that based on the property value or do you just say, well, it's paid this off, so that's what we want to do? Or how yeah, does that we kind could, of get decided? So I, we could probably do more. Okay. So what the banks do when you're renegotiating your loan, they will give you 80% of what the property is worth gotcha. that day. So obviously five years from now, we paid 800000 The property might be worth like one point four. Yeah. Maybe. And so we could take more. The bank will say... Let's say the bank says, all right, the property's worth $1.4 million. They will take 80% of that. I'll do a quick math on my calculator here. Um, uh, so they'll, they'll give us $1.1 million. But gotcha. in addition to that, that's one way they're looking at the equation. The other thing is they say, all right, we'll give you a loan up to $1.1 million. But the other thing we have to look at is what are the rents? Can the rents pay that mortgage? Yeah. Okay. So if rents, let's say rents have stagnated. And in five years, they're still 1100 a month where they are mm-hmm. today. If that's true, then they probably won't let you do the 80% because they'd be like, well, you know, the mortgage payment is going to be about six grand a month. You got nine units. So that means about six of your units, 60% of your unit is just struggling to pay the mortgage. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit on how much the property generates, which is also why if you're a, a property owner, a lot of guys get, here's where the laziness factor is. If you just let rent sit, I mean, that's why we have this lady was, she owned the property for 20 years and she had the rents in at five, 600 bucks because she had it paid off, mm. but she didn't keep pushing forward. 
Right. She could have had the rents at eleven hundred. She just didn't want to do it and was distracted. For what I don't know what her reasons were, but so that's why as a property owner you do have to kind of keep so that when you do come up for the time for the mortgage to be renegotiated, mm-hmm. you want the rents as high as you can get them. Now you yeah. want them to be fair and at the market because you don't want tenants to just if you put your if you put your rents at, at the that tippy tippy top, then people are going to move out yeah. every second. So you really want them a little bit. You want them really fair and probably a little less than that. You don't want tenants to move out. You want them right. to be happy. You want them to feel like they're getting a good deal because when a tenant moves out, it is so expensive. Mm. You're losing at least a month of rent, mm-hmm. if not more, depending on how fast you can get them back in. And usually you got to pay, you know, you got to at least pay a cleaning lady. You got to go spruce it up. And then you got a maintenance guy to go in there. A lot of maintenance that didn't get done. Mm. So you do not want your tenants to move out. Yeah. Treat them right. Uh, stay on top of the repairs, um, but you do want to make sure you don't get left behind. If right. rents are at twelve hundred, you don't want to be at nine hundred. That's right. just bad business. Yeah, you know, and that's why I always tell people. Well, people would say, "Well, those poor souls that were renting for five hundred and six hundred dollars a month." That's why I would tell everybody, "You've you do, the government is inflating all this money and making it worthless. We're not the ones pushing it up. When the government ruins the currency, everything's going to get more expensive." So what I would tell everybody, if you've got a good deal where you're renting five six hundred a month. Realize that that will end someday. Yeah. Whether that property gets sold or whatever, the situation, you will never ever stay at low expenses forever. They will always go up. So if you know that, then you need to focus on making more money. You need mm-hmm. to focus on a side hustle. You need to focus on investing in your own skills. Get that certification or that skill. Keep pushing forward. We have to keep pushing forward as business owners, mm-hmm. but even the general public needs to realize. If the government's ruining the money, you got to keep you got to keep hustling. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a sad reality, but you got to keep pushing, or you're going to get left behind. Yeah, you, you know your eggs eggs are not going to stay the same price. Your food is not going to stay the same price. Gas is not going to stay. So if you get complacent, you're going to wake up one day and go, "I can't afford to live anymore." Mm-hmm. Well, don't do that. You got to stay on the stay on the grind. Right, right. Know? No, exactly. So would you say the golden? The golden place that you want to be if you're doing a basically refinance on a commercial loan like that is you want it to be to where you're borrowing the most that you can while still having this essentially the same amount of cash flow or similar amount of cash flow off the off the rents. Well, so we were, we've been talking about that. So there's two different it's up to your risk tolerance. Okay. So right now, if we depending on how the mortgage payment is, let's say um, I would say very defensive would be. Fifty percent of the revenue is going to the mortgage, okay. and then the other 50% goes towards expenses. But people can get a little more aggressive where we say, hey, let's push it up. So for example, when the property's rented out, it will generate profit. Rutherford's still in kind of a fix-up phase. Like we're, getting, yeah. we're finally, we switched property managers, and we finally got the last two units about to be rented. We just, mm. so, and what we had a we had a fluke thing last year where we had five tenants move out all at once for different mm-hmm. reasons. We actually yeah. had a tenant pass away. She was an older lady. We had a tenant. He was only going to be in there a year because he was going through a divorce. We had um, one tenant we had to kick out because had a huge dog in there and it was just mm-hmm. brutal. And then we had another tenant that just he just moved out for whatever his own reasons. No big deal, you know. Yeah. But it just all happened at the same time. So we lost about five months of revenue. So that hurt us. Mm-hmm. So the property hasn't really ger- generated a return yet. Plus, 
This is a benefit snowball of assets. We actually bought another duplex, this mm -hmm. deferred. So we bought another duplex in Welford. Well, we kind of robbed Peter to pay Paul. We took money from Rutherford, uh, the, t the units in Taylor's, mm -hmm. and used the excess money to fix up that duplex. Well, if we didn't do that, that would have came to us as an owner of profit distribution. So we kind of did it on our We're not unhappy with the property because we were, you know, we deliberately made those right. decisions. And so we've got that duplex in Welford online with no money out of our pocket. Mm -hmm. There's money out of our assets pocket, out of our property, our mm -hmm. other property. So that's how you're starting to build momentum. Literally, one property was paying for another one to fix it mm -hmm. up. And so back to your question about how, you know, what would we do with our mortgage payment? If we say to ourselves, would you rather have 150, let's assume the payout's 100 grand, but you could have 150,000, but that means that you're gonna get less cash flow from your property. Mm. You might say, well, no, I'd rather have the 50 grand in my pocket. So right now, let's say when the prop, as it is right now, the property generates uh, about three, will generate about three grand a month mm -hmm. profit. So that means each, owner once we get past it we're, we're projecting by june we will have because we're going to have a reserve because we know our taxes are 17 grand we right. do not want to take it out so we're going to have that build up in an escrow account we're going to have our property insurance so we're not taking anything until we have all that money built up and then we're going to have a rainy day fund of like if the hvac breaks or if, you know we have repairs so mm -hmm. usually that's about five percent of your gross revenue right. is going to be kept in a maintenance. So we're going to have a maintenance fund, an insurance fund, a uh, tax. tax fund, um, and that should be enough. So they push that all, that cash to the side. After that, we should be able to take 1000 each. So here's the question. If we go to refinance, I would rather have an extra 50000 and then next year, let's, say, let's assume we're, re we're doing the, redoing the mortgage this year. I would say, give me the fifty thousand, and I'll next year I'll only instead of a thousand dollars cash flow a month, I'll take five hundred bucks a month. Mm, okay. Because I'm getting it all today. Now the property is not in a dangerous position because I told you we're still setting aside the insurance, the tax, right. and all that. We're just talking about just our profit flow. Gotcha. The property is we're not making. You do not want to put the property. You don't want to take so much debt on the property that it can barely pay for itself. No, 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 mm. no, don't ever do that. Don't even come close to that conversation. I'm just talking about reducing it. So I don't care if I only get $500 a month, if I have an extra, if it, if it causes me to have an extra 50 grand in the bank. Yeah. So that's the numbers that you're playing on how much debt you want to take on a property. And I guess part of that conversation is how long and monthly rent it would take to get to 50,000. Correct. And you're kind of doing that time. Yes comparison you're, you're exactly gotcha doing that. yes and then you're also doing well if i take this fifty thousand, what kind of a down payment could it be on a bigger property yeah. or and or let's say you had um in your example let's say it's your situation maybe that fifty thousand is going to buy a big piece of equipment mm -hmm. and so now the your business was paying for these properties and now the properties is returning the favor and saying hey we're going to help the business go to the next level right yeah, you're going to make that decision really easy. Mm -hmm. So that's the benefit. So I understand that people, when they look at it, it's like it's very frustrating to say, oh, only $200 a month. Why mm -hmm. should I do it? Because you've got to have the delayed gratification. You know, just like when you're starting your business, most people say it takes about for five years mm -hmm. to really feel like it's worth it, the grind. Yeah. Well, you have to own properties 
for about five years before you start because then you'll get your first refinance out of it mm. and so everything's a five-year grind yeah. for the most part you know, i got gotcha. you if you get lucky you can you can speed it up but mm. you know as a general rule it's a five-year grind in anything you do before you start seeing results that you're probably happy with right right i got gotcha. you Oh, that's really cool. That was uh, insightful, especially about the real estate there. But um, I think we're pretty much at the end of the time for today. Dave, I appreciate you coming on. Is there any way that you would want, if somebody's listening and they want to reach out for uh, buying a house or for insurance or anything, is there any contact information, how they can reach you? Yeah, I mean, we're with the real estate, we're Champion Partners Realty. Uh, the website is Champion P, the letter P, and then Realty.com. Um, and then with insurance, yeah, we do. We actually, I'll help individual health insurance and things like that. That's you can look us up online. It's Beacon Financial Solutions. The website for that is actually bfgbenefits.com. So originally the company was out of New England, and mm -hmm. we were BFG Benefits up in New England. So that's why the URL is a little different. But yeah. um, my cell phone number is eight six four four nine eight three six nine seven. You guys can give me a call whenever for real estate related or insurance. It's up to you. Sweet. Thank, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Um, I'll link all that stuff in the podcast description, but I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Bro podcast and stay tuned for more episodes.